Okay, if you do have a Bible with you, if you want to find uh, Ephesians chapter 2, if you don't, don't worry, the words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me in a moment or two. Uh, Just in the build-up to Easter, Easter Sunday is coming in a few weeks' time, uh, and we thought we would take a few weeks out as a church to look at the subjects of the resurrection and what that means for us today. And I think for Christians, it's an incredibly important subject, but it's one actually when I look around at sometimes even my own life, but the lives of other Christians, I, I wonder if sometimes we've forgotten about the resurrection in how we live. That we can sometimes live knowing that we're sinners and that Jesus died for us and has forgiven us, but we don't always live in the power of the resurrection. But that's actually what the Bible tells us to do. And it doesn't just tell us to do that, but as followers of Jesus now, as believers in him, you actually do have the same resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now in you. And if that sounds crazy, then just stick with me this morning as we try and understand this together. But it's really important for us as believers that we get hold of this truth. Because when you begin to understand this and unpack this in your life, it will set you free. It will work powerfully within you in quite a marvelous way. So we're spending three weeks looking at the resurrection and we're using uh, this structure as a little bit of a, of a guide. This is from the Heidelberg Catechism and it asks a question, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Which is the subject that we're unpacking over these few weeks. So last week we looked at this first bit. It says, first, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, which we'll look at this week, by his power, we too are already raised to a new life. And then third, which we'll look at in a few weeks' time, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. But just make note of that second paragraph there, that second sentence in your hearts. Second, by his power, we too are already raised to a new life. Something has already happened for us who are believers in him. I'm just going to read these verses from Ephesians, and then we will pray together. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, we are a people before you this morning who are hungry to hear from you. We want to let this word, your book, speak into our life and shape us and reform us little by little, more and more to become like you, Jesus. And we thank you, God, that that is uh, not our work, but, but your work within us. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us this morning, to guide us, to draw our hearts 
back to you and to work deeply in our souls, we pray. Amen. Amen. Every now and again, I go uh, a few months or so here at Liberty where I don't talk about it, and then every now and again I have to talk about zombies. Okay? Because I think zombie movies are just brilliant. And uh, one of my favorite TV shows is The Walking Dead. Have you ever seen The Walking Dead? A few of you have. The rest of you have, uh, need, to, need to watch it. <laughs> you didn't think you'd come to church today and you'd be told to watch The Walking Dead. I mean, probably some of you, you might not, because it can be a bit gruesome. And if you've got a certain you know, disposition, it might upset you a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> zombies are great. So <laughs> the wonderful thing about this TV show, The Walking Dead is that you think the title, The Walking Dead, is about the zombies. But actually, it's quite a clever TV show that after you've watched probably the first series, you begin to realize that The Walking Dead aren't the zombies at all. The Walking Dead are actually the humans that have survived. Because what happens is, the, the TV show actually tells a story of how they begin to turn on one another. And the, the zombies are just this thing that happens in the background. And the real story is about how there's something totally wrong with these humans. That as society is falling apart around them, they can't deal with it, and they turn against one another. And they start to attack and fight against one another, and you realize that the TV show is actually about them, that they are the walking dead. You're trying to think how this applies at all to Ephesians chapter 2. Well, I guess one way to understand it is the Bible, in the Bible there are two types of dead people in the Bible. Two types of dead people. There are people who are actually dead. So, like which will happen to us one day, where your body finally gives up and you actually die. But then there are also people who are spiritually dead. It says here in Ephesians 2, as we just, dead, as we just read, we're just dead, we read, I'm getting these two words, I'm just too excited about this word this morning. But it says here, look, we, even when we were dead in our trespasses, there are two types of dead people in the Bible, those who are actually dead and those who are spiritually dead. And you might think I'm talking about what's really true in that people who actually physically die and some kind of mythical, mystical, weird reality. Actually, the way the Bible explains it is the most important thing, really, is that life is defined by um, how we know God. And death is defined by not knowing God. That's what life and death is in the Bible. So it says in, here in John 17, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what it really is to have life, is to know the very author of life himself. It says right at the very start of the Bible that God breathed into the world. That's how creation began, God's breath. The spirit of God over the waters, God's breath, his ruach, speaking out into creation, breathing the world into being. That's how every one of us has received life. God's breath, breathing us into being, into life. And the very def definition of what life is, is whether or not you know God, or whether or not you are dead in your trespasses, dead in your sins, or whether you are fully alive in Christ. And what we find is, in the, in the resurrection that we were looking at last week, you have a, 
You have a, on one hand, you have a change of status. That's what we were talking about last week when we were talking about this issue of justification, that we weren't righteous, and now we've got this change of status where God looks upon us who are believers in him and says, yes, you are now justified. You've been made righteous by Jesus. You've got like a new address now. Your address is where you actually live, but the most important address is that you are in Christ, that you are loved by him eternally. You've been made righteous. So something has happened, a change of status has taken place. But it's more than just, it's more than that. So we were using the analogy, if you were here last week, don't worry if you weren't, but we're using the analogy of, of which the Bible uses to explain the resurrection of, of the sun coming up, of the dawn of a new day. Where suddenly you've moved as a believer from darkness into light. The sun has come up now, in that Jesus has risen and sheds his light out into your heart. But also what happens is, you may have noticed it this week, that when the sun comes out, there's, there's a warmth. You'll go out this afternoon into the sun and you'll feel a warmth. When the sun comes up, you don't just see it and know something different has happened. It's not just a change of, it was darkness and now it's now light, but something, something happens. When the sun comes up, things grow. Spring happens and things burst into life. The sun brings warmth, it brings energy, it brings power, it brings life into the world. And Jesus' resurrection is exactly the same. Not only is it a change of status, but something happens when you become a believer in Jesus, you put your trust in him, the resurrection power floods into you and something happens, something changes. It's not like a Superman moment where you suddenly walk out of the phone box and you were Clark Kent and you're now Superman. It doesn't work like that. But fundamentally, you're now different. The power of God is within you. It's the power to change and to grow is within you now by his mighty power. It says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And in a way, that's a bit of a weird verse to try and understand. So I'm a branch, what's going on here? This doesn't make any sense. But we've, we've, been, we've been kind of grafted into Christ. It says elsewhere that we're now part of his body. There's something happens that these are more than just analogies. These are more than pictures. There's something real and deep and profound that has taken place that you are now in Christ. And by the Holy Spirit, he is in you. Something different is, is working in your life now. There's a different power at work. It's the power of God. Which means that now I'm, I'm an ex-dead person. That's who I am as a believer in Jesus. I was once dead, but now I'm alive. That might be offensive to you if you're not a believer in Jesus. You're saying I'm dead? Well, yeah, no, I am. I am. What really matters in life is not really about how much enjoyment you can squeeze out of life, how much fulfillment you can find for all these different experiences and pleasures, in the end, they won't satisfy you. In the end, what really matters, what really will fulfill you and give you life, 
not just life now, but eternal life is knowing God. It's the most beautiful, wonderful thing that we can invite you into today if you don't know him. That in your sins, the Bible says you're dead and there's nothing you can do about it. But there is a great hope for you that Jesus has risen. He's alive today and he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. And now it doesn't mean I will still one day physically die or you will taste physical death. But we don't have to have any fear about that anymore. We've received this power within us, which is this wonderful deposit, this guarantee of this future eternity that we get to spend with God. We were once dead, but now we're alive. So what does it mean to, to be alive in Christ? What does that mean? Because it goes on here to say in this passage, we've, we're particularly looking at verse 5 this morning. It says, we've made us alive together with Christ. What does that mean? First of all, it means, as I said, that we do have this same resurrection power. It's so important that you get that into your heads. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Think of how vast and grand a miracle that is, that someone could be dead. Ludo was outlining the position a few weeks ago of how dead Jesus actually was. You know, and how people try and say, oh no, he just, he just kind of swooned. You know, he was just injured a bit and fell asleep on the cross or whatever. That's nonsense. Jesus was dead for three days and then rose again by the power of God. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same resurrection power is in us. Is in us. So Paul in Philippians writes that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is Paul at the end of in Philippians 3. He's kind of writing. It's almost like his life goal, his statement, his vision of what he wants his life to look like. He says that I want to know him. But more than that, the power of his resurrection. Because he knew how hugely, vastly important this was. To be alive in Jesus means we get to know the power of his resurrection. The English preacher Giles Spurgeon said this, if you have Jesus Christ, you have the resurrection. Oh, that you might now realize what power lies in him who is the resurrection and the life. That's his plea to us. That's my plea to you this morning to myself, oh, that I might realize the power of the resurrection. Oh, I might realize what's now true, what's really true, that I'm no longer dead, but I'm alive in him. Because it says what happens is, is that this resurrection power has caused what the Bible calls like a, like a new birth, like a regeneration has taken place now, that we're new creations, that we really were once dead completely, and now we're fully, finally alive. We're alive in him. It's important that we get our heads around what this means to have this new birth, this regeneration 
The writer Wayne Grudem said this. He said, the regeneration is like a secret, a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. When you become a Christian, something, there's a new spiritual life that is birthed within you. I know this message might just sound me like me repeating myself over and over again. And I'm doing that deliberately because I want this to get I want this to get into my own heart, into my own soul. I want this to get deep into your hearts as well. That as a believer in Jesus, you've got this new life within you now that you're not who you once were. In two ways, as we were saying last week, you're not who you were because now the Father looks on you and he sees Jesus' righteousness on you. He says you're justified. You've been made righteous by his life, death, and resurrection. But also we're not who we were because now his power is within us to change us. What has happened is it's like a spiritual resurrection has taken place. Ezekiel explains it like this. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. Something changes profoundly within you. A new heart is birthed within you. His spirit is in you. A new life has come to you. Now, you might ask, well, how does this happen? How does this regeneration, this new birth, take place? Well, the reality is that it's nothing to do with us. <laughs> you can't just, this, this isn't like a technique there's no handbook that gives you, you know, five steps to be regenerated. That's not how it works. This is a work of God within you. It says in, in John 1, you were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. That We might think that it was a decision that we made. I decided I'm going to follow Jesus. And in a way, we did. You did. But really, behind the scenes, that was God. To even give you that seed of faith, to make that commitment, that was him at work within you. That's what salvation is all about. We think it's a work of us coming to God. It's actually him coming to us, grabbing hold of us, pulling us out of our circumstances, ripping us and pulling us into him, and at the same time, giving us this new heart, this new spiritual life, this spiritual resurrection that takes place within us is completely his initiative and his work. And what does this regeneration do? What happens within us? Well, what will happen is that as I said, there isn't like an immediate Superman moment. But you'll find that God is now working within you. And he will change you. 
Sometimes there'll be things that you'll battle with, even sins, worries, fears, that you might spend your whole life wrestling with. But even through all of those things, God's at work. Sometimes even using those negative experiences, he's working those for good in your life. And sometimes you can feel like, well, I don't feel any different from what I was like yesterday. I don't feel any different from what I was like last week or last month. But sometimes as a believer, if you look back and you remember what you were like maybe five years ago or ten years ago, you think, oh, goodness, something has changed within me now. It's part of the joy of being married that Joe and I, it was our anniversary uh, last week, 17 years. And part of the joy is that we're different from what we were like 17 years ago. Thank you, Jesus, that I am different from what I was like 17 years ago. It's true. <laughs> Amen, my wife says. <laughs> it's true, we're different. And you could say, well, that's just, that's just maturity. It's in you just get old, you age, and then you become more mature as you get older. That's nonsense. It really is. I've met some very immature old people. I'm not, trying to, I'm not saying that to offend anybody, but age doesn't make you mature. Right? God at work within you. That's what leads you to maturity. That's what grows you. That's what changes you. And he, he might use age to do that. Some extra wisdom. Yeah, that's all good. But all of that is God at work. He's at work in you. It says in Romans chapter 6, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When the, the Bible uses this idea of walking with him, it's, it's giving us a picture of what it is to live the Christian life. That we walk with God, that we get to follow him. But we now do it in newness of life. That a new life has come to us. That a new reality has dawned in our hearts. That the warmth of God shines into our life and gives us power to follow him. You know, baptism is such a brilliant picture of this. That you go down into the water and you'll dive with Christ and then you're raised again to new life. And something new has taken place. And it's, it's a picture of exactly what happened to Jesus. That he died and then was raised to this new resurrection life. In the same way you too have been raised to a new resurrection life. Now, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't actually mean that you are therefore suddenly like Jesus. There's still a, a, a future glory that we get to walk into that we'll talk about more next time when we look at this subject. But right now, something has changed within you. You are different, not perfect, but there's something that God's working in you now. Now, I guess the obvious question really is, well, how do I, how do I 
How do I know? Maybe you're, you're, you're wrestling with that question in your heads. Because you might feel, well, I don't really, f I don't feel like there's anything different about me. Maybe you've only become a Christian recently and you think, well, I don't feel any different from what I was like before. I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and you know, go downstairs and open my Bible and I suddenly, maybe this is true for some of you, but I know it's not true for me. I'm not suddenly kind of bouncing around the kitchen at six in the morning with just suddenly this profound joy bursting out of my heart. Most mornings, I'm just trying to figure out how to work the coffee machine, you know. And I f I'm sure someone just changes the settings every night. Because every morning, it just, it mocks me. It does. And I don't feel this. I don't often, it's not true not often, but I don't always feel like there's something different about me. Sometimes we can wrestle with that as a, as a Christian. You know, I, 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 I believe all this is true. I love to come to church and to worship God, but yet somehow I still struggle. I still fail. There are things in my life that are difficult that I can't seem to fix. There are issues in my life that won't go away. And you can often feel, rather than feeling full of resurrection power, you can feel almost a bit powerless. You think, oh, well, I wish I could just change all these situations. So a good question is, well, how do I, how do I know? How do I know that this new birth has taken place? Well, let me, it's a bit of a tricky one to answer, because you could say, well, sh surely, if, if you've received this new birth, if God has come and regenerated your heart, then there will be fruit. That's the language the Bible uses. And that is true. If you're a follower of Jesus, there'll be fruit in your life. There will. You'll be able to look back and there will be things that have happened because you're not only in your life, but in how you've been able to bless and serve others. There will be fruit that you can look at. But if you just judge whether or not you've really received this new birth, whether you're really a follower of Jesus, if you judge it on whether or not you can see fruit, the danger is that's just legalism. And we do this to other people all the time. You know, We're very good as Christians at judging the state of other people's souls. You know, I'm not sure they're really a Christian because look at all this mess in their life. I don't see any fruit there. And we're just applying a legalistic standard to their life. We're saying being a Christian means these, this list of things they should be doing. And they're failing on at least four of them. Therefore, they're not. And we do the same thing with ourselves. We hold this legalistic account to ourselves. So should you see fruit in your life as a believer? Yes, absolutely. But you can't use that to judge the work of God within you. And you might say, okay, okay, so I get that, but surely if I've got this new birth, there's this power within me, I'll have some kind of spiritual hunger, like an appetite for God. And again, the answer is yes. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will have an appetite for God, a hunger to know him more. But at the same time, there'll, there'll be times when 
you'll go through even sometimes long seasons where you'll lose your appetite for God. Where you don't feel a, a hunger for him. Where it will feel just like you're wading through treacle all the time. Stuck in tar in the road. You're just stuck in the mud. And being a Christian just feels like this weird kind of anomaly on the side of your life. Have you ever felt like that? Don't feel like you've got any appetite? Just no hunger for God? Or just feels like hard work? And sometimes that's the reality of what it is to be a Christian. So should you as a believer have a spiritual hunger? Yes, but often there are times when you don't feel like that. So you can't judge whether you've received this new birth on whether or not you have any kind of hunger for him. I think what you can find is, is it, to come back to this passage here, is that but God being rich in mercy. That's actually the most important thing. That's the foundation that you, you build it upon. Am I a Christian? Have I received the new, the new birth? The question isn't to look inside of yourself, or the answer isn't to look inside of yourself. The answer is to look to God. That's the first place you go. That's the foundation you build it upon. That's where you start. Because if you're constantly fretting and worrying, am I really, am, have I really been born again as a believer in Jesus? Am I really following him? You know, am, am I being a good Christian or not? You'll just fill your heart with doubt and worry and fear because we're looking into ourselves to try and find that answer. But we can't find the answer within ourselves. The answer really is to, to say, what's God like? Who is God? What's he like? Because when we come to that, we find this, that he's rich in mercy. God is love. And that's the most important foundation to build upon. That's why you might notice at this church every week, sometimes we do it better than others, but every week we're trying to talk about Jesus. We're trying to present to you the gospel. We're trying to say, look at him. Look at who he is. Look at what he's done. That will change you. We don't try and give you things to do. Seven steps to be more holy. Five ways to be a better Christian. Four life hacks, you know, or whatever. That's not what we do here. Because we're trying to say to you, the most important thing is not what you're like, but what God is like. Who he is. And he is rich in mercy. It's one of the defining characteristics of what God is like. God is rich in mercy. And you can find that all through the Bible. Not just in a few nice, happy passages in the New Testament. All through the Bible, you get this beautiful picture of God being rich in mercy. A God of love. And that's the thing that we build our lives upon. It's just this essential truth concerning him.
goes on to say, the end of that verse, by grace you have been saved. We were dead in our trespasses, but it's by his grace that we've been saved. And it's by his grace we carry on walking in him. It's by his grace that we were able to, to, to look and know what he's done in our lives. Know the fruit of it is oh, his grace. I had a beautiful uh, conversation with a, a friend of mine in the church this week who is a older and more mature. He has both things, age and maturity. And uh, he said, if I ever write a book, I'm going to use this quote. And then I wrote it down because I said, that's really, actually really profound and really good. So I said, I'm going to write a book first and use it instead. <laughs> he said, we literally were having this conversation, and he just quoted this thing, and I got my phone out and said, stop speaking, I need to write this down. I'm stealing this. He said, the success of my life will be measured by the depth I've seen of God's mercy. <laughs> Isn't that wonderfully profound? The success of my life is not all these achievements, all these goals that we've you know, worked to happen, all these things that we've done, all these life experiences we've enjoyed, how much we've traveled, all these, how much money we've managed to build up, or, or even some more humanitarian things, how much we've blessed people, how much we've given away, how much we've loved people. No, the success of my life will be measured by the depth I've seen of God's mercy. By just how much I just know his grace. Which it might seem a bizarre thing to do, but it's wonderfully biblical. These words won't come up on the screen, but in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter, there are two wonderful prayers that he prays. First of all, at the end of chapter one, he says, I pray. This is Paul's prayer that he just wrote down. In his, I love Paul's letters because he just kind of gets carried away. And he's kind, of writes, he's kind of writing nice thoughts. And then he just starts praying. And he says this. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know. He doesn't say you will know the things to do, the ways to be better. He says you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Again, he's talking about the resurrection. He's praying that we would know the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then it goes on. There's a, another prayer at the end of chapter 3 where he says uh, in verse 14 of chapter 3, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints not what to do, how to live, but what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ 
which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to live for. Do I know the profound, mighty depths of the love of God? It might seem a weird way to live, but I tell you what, it's the best way to live. And that's what this resurrection power, this new birth, this regeneration does in you. It enables you to live like this. Not always perfectly, often very messily and imperfectly. But all the time, Jesus is calling us to look upon him. Drawing our hearts to adore him. To find our peace and our joy, our satisfaction, our fulfillment in beholding him. Knowing him. That's what life is, to know God. The breadth, the length, the depth, the height of his wonderful love for us. Let me pray. Jesus, I just, I want to pray for us. More that, more than anything else, here in this city, we want to be a church that knows you. A church that knows your resurrection power within us. Drawing our hearts ever closer to you. That we know, might know what it is to be fully alive. To know you. There's so many things in this city that we could do. And we want to do things. We, we want to love this city. We want to bless this city. We want to love one another. We want to we care for one another, serve one another. We want to go out into this city and be a blessing. But first of all, the foundation before anything else is we want to know you, God. That prayer, those two prayers that Paul prayed, we want to keep praying them again and again over our own lives. That our hearts may be enlightened, that the light might come on within us to know you. That we could join with Spurgeon and say, oh, that we might realize the power available to us now through the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that there's nothing we can do to earn this, to win this, but it's a gift of grace that you've given us. Thank you so much for your wonderful love for us. Amen.